Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us again on the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. And today I'm going to be replaying an episode that I did recently being interviewed on the Relentless Dentist Podcast with Dr. Dave. And um, I had a great time with him. He and I are a lot alike. And I'm going to play it for you guys here. If you haven't checked out his podcast, make sure you do. It's awesome. I tell people that 2015 was my worst year ever. 2016 was my best year ever. So the dichotomy of those years and just staying in the game for one more day and one more, you know, just keep plugging away that sometimes the jewels are just on the other side. The Relentless Dentist Podcast. The number one, the number one non-clinical, non-boring, no excuses show for dentists who aren't interested in the status quo. This is the Relentless Dentist Podcast. All right, Relentless Dentist, let's get started. This is your host, Dr. Dave. I'm super excited to introduce a new friend of mine to you, Dr. Peter Bolden. How are you doing today, Peter? Doing awesome, Dave. Thanks for having me. So in the last week, Peter and I have had some conversations, and I've had a chance to listen to his podcast. He's a fellow podcaster, The Bulletproof Dental Practice, and I think we have an awful lot in common. So I'm excited about the conversation we're going to have today. His podcast, if you haven't checked it out, please do, is focused on systems and marketing. And those are two gems that I think, um, would you agree, Peter, that a lot of uh, dentists might ignore at their own peril? Absolutely. So Peter is a multiple practice owner. He has Atlanta Dental Spa, a fee-for-service practice, and he's also an owner of a PPO practice. So his background is is very diverse and well-versed. So I'm excited about kind of unpacking his journey and giving you advice as to what he feels his big wins are and where they came from. But before we before we get into that important information, I'd like Dr. Bolden for you to just tell us a little bit about your practices, your family, and how you are spending most of your time today in uh, 2017. So let me give you a little bit about my family. So I'm a a native of Atlanta, born and raised. I went to school in Virginia, University of Virginia for undergrad, dental school in Kentucky, and then came right back home, I think, for just a safety net. You know, I knew that I could be successful or my chances of being more successful were enhanced by coming back to the place where people knew and loved me. Sure. So starting out, I was an associate in a pretty high-end practice, and, you know, coming right out of school, I knew that was the practice I wanted to work at, but she was kind of unwilling to hire me because I was right out of school. And, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't understand the kind of the stigma was attached to a, a super new grad that, you know, we're a little bit dangerous, you know, I mean, right <laughs> out of school, you get, you know, you have the tools, but you're not by any means ready to roll. And so basically I struggled getting, a, getting, uh, I knew the kind of practice that I want to have and, I told her, she's like, I can't hire you. You're right out of school. And I said, well, here's the deal. I'll work for free for the first three months. If you don't love me after three months and want to hire me, then I'm out. And I think she was so blown away by that, that, you know, honestly, obviously she did pay me a little bit for that three months, but she was so blown away that she had no choice but to say, well, damn, who says that? And, you know, and honestly, it was just me being ignorant a little bit and a little bit arrogant. And the fact that I had, you know, school, school debt was coming in fast and furious at the time. And so, you know, I just kind of threw, threw it out there and just, I told myself I didn't have any kids, you know, I got nothing to risk essentially, except, you know, failing for this little moment in time, but I had a lot of upside. So Anyway, fast forward, I worked there for two or three years, I think three years, and decided that being a partner in that practice wasn't a good fit for me, that I kind of wanted to be the chief in my own gig and not follow in line with someone else. And so I took what I had learned there, which were some awesome things, and I extrapolated some of my own, which 
you know, things I knew I wanted to change, you know, things I wanted to do and things I didn't want to do. And so in 2004, I started out on my own practice and I graduated in 2002. So 2004, late 2004, I left that practice and actually had a partner at the time. And we started a fee-for-service practice that was 10 miles away because I had a pretty heavy non-compete, 10 miles away from an area that I really, you know, I wanted to be there because I knew the area, but it wasn't as ideal. But I had no no choice because of my non-compete and I wanted to honor it, you know, even though they're not, you know, they don't hold up very well. I didn't have the money to fight it. So I just conceded and we opened up a fee-for-service practice and everyone we talked to was like, number one, don't do a fee-for-service, you're going to fail. Number two, don't have a partner because you're going to fail. And I think that was a blessing in disguise because I love it when people tell me like, hey, don't do this or you can't do this kind of thing because it's, you know, it, it fuels you every morning, you know, kind of to get up and to say, to prove everybody wrong. So fast forward now, I no longer have that partner and I am opening my third location in that fee-for-service entity, Atlanta Dental Spa. And then I've acquired another PPO practice that's about two hours north of Atlanta in a scenario where I really wanted to kind of get into ownership without having to do the actually the the linear exchange of actually doing time drilling money, right? I wanted to kind of scale my practice. And I really like the business of dentistry. So that's helped me kind of really stretch my, it's really helped kind of help me exercise some of the muscles I wanted to do in terms of the ownership and systems and scalability and all that stuff. And I really like it. So, you know, I like the multiple ownership model because it keeps me busy and you know, it, I get to flex my muscles with marketing and systems and all that stuff. So that's kind of that's kind of where I am right now. So right now I'm focused on getting this third location up in my Atlanta Dental Spa location. That's more of an in-town location. I'm focused on getting that up and running with proficiency, and then it'll be kind of move on to the next thing. Awesome. You uh, you literally gave me chills when you talked about the naysayers and the critics because that's something that's always really fueled me. I have a million questions I want to ask you right now about fee-for-service, not fee-for-service. But before we do that, I'd like to uh, tap into a success quote. Is there any, a success quote or a mantra that you feel defines you or motivates you? Oh, man, I have I have like three that just jumped in my mind. And I'll give you, you know how you can get those vinyls printed out sure. um, and you can put them on glass? Yeah. Well, my favorite one that I look at every morning that's printed on my bathroom mirror, like like literally the first thing I see when I wake up is it says live vicariously through no one. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And so that is what I start my day with because I think, um, okay, let me give you the second one before I kind of explain. Second one is, is really, it's almost cliche at this point, but it's so applicable to my day to day is begin with the end in mind. Mm. Right. And I, I'm a huge fan of this reverse engineering and strategic reverse engineering and literally envisioning what I want and then kind of just filling in the steps going backwards. And then my third one would be, it's not so much a quote, well, it's a very long quote, but it's Theodore Roosevelt's Man in the Arena. Are you familiar with that? It's uh, a little scary that you mentioned that because I have a plaque sitting right next to my computer right now that uh, has that very quote on it. Really? Yeah. I won't sit here. I almost know it by heart, but I won't sit here and, 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 you know, I won't waste podcast time on that. But for those of you who want to see it, just Google Theodore Roosevelt's man in the arena. And it, you know, if that doesn't give you chills and it doesn't resonate with, with who you are, it's just, man, it's, it's such a manly like quote and just saying it fires you up. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that's uh, that's an issue with our colleagues. A lot of times is that we're so 
tied into perfection that we're afraid to, to stumble and uh, get knocked around a little bit, but we can't let the, those, that comfort zone define us. And that's really uh, why that quote is so powerful to me. Totally. And, you know, and perfection, I think, is, is the biggest enemy of a lot of people. You know, I don't I don't strive for perfection. I strive for progress and value. And, you know, perfection can keep you can keep you very stagnant because perfection is almost impossible to get, you know, precisely. precisely. I don't know. Sorry. Sorry about that little tangent. But I but I, I hate when people say like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, great. That means you're not growing. <laughs> it's a it's a powerful excuse, really. It's, you know, like uh and some of I know you're a Tim Ferriss fan. The some of that's the uh, interviews that he has. He talks about how we use stress and perfectionism as a crutch because totally. it's it's a sexy term. It, it shows that we're a high achiever, but it's really just that an excuse that keeps us limited in and what we're we're doing day to day. Absolutely, yes, totally agree with that. Awesome. Well, we could stay there for half an hour, but uh, yeah, I know. Let's uh, let's uh, rewind a little bit. You talked about growing up in in uh, Georgia. Can you tell us a little bit uh, more about your childhood and perhaps where you first kind of felt the seeds of becoming a dentist were planted? Yeah. So my father was an airline pilot growing up, and I had a I had a great childhood. You know, I've got an older sister. My mom was a stay at home mom. My parents were very attentive. My dad was gone a lot, but he, when he was home, he was a hundred percent, you know? So I think he instilled the fact that I, like either you're all in or you're all out kind of thing. And so when he was at his work, he was a hundred percent committed to his work. When he was at home, he was a hundred percent committed to my family. And I think, you know, that kind of instilled a lot of values in me. I didn't start off wanting to be a dentist, like right out of, of high school. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Honestly, at the time, I actually thought like probably a lot of dentists back in the time was I wanted to be a uh, surgeon or a doctor. And, you know, and so in high school, I started working at the hospital and doing things. And honestly, that's when it started to shift. And I got a little scared because I didn't dentistry wasn't even on my radar back in the day. But I started seeing the quality of life that a lot of these physicians were leading and they were you know, they were doing well financially, but they were miserable, mm. miserable being woken up in the middle of the night, like their quality of life sucked, their family life sucked. And I was like, you know, uh, you know, and I think what attracted me about that was the financial security, just to be transparent back in the time. And I love science. And so I was like, oh, this is a good fit. You know, I'll be a doctor. But then I looked at the quality of life and I and I concluded that that wasn't a good fit for me because I wanted to be a very committed family man. And I, you know, I wanted to to be there for my children. And I have three, you know, I, I have three kids, right? I am about to say right now, but I'm not having any more. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that kind of influenced the way that, you know, my life. And, and so basically I, because of that quality of life thing, I, I started opening my eyes to other possibilities, but I knew it had to be science and it had to be with my hands mm -hmm. because I was, I'm always been someone who worked on my own cars in high school. You know, I, I'm just very physical with my hands, you know, I always take things apart and all that kind of thing. So lo and behold, I actually had a neighbor growing up who was an orthodontist. And, you know, so because I realized that, man, physicians and surgeons don't have this best quality of life and all that stuff, I started looking at what his life looked like. And I was like, man, you know, he really, he really is coming home every day at the same time. He's always happy. He's on the golf course a lot, you know, and I don't know what kind of financial security he has, but he looks pretty secure. So anyway, I started talking to him. He said, why don't you come work for me? Blah, blah, blah. 
so going forward into dental school, I was hellbound and determined to be an orthodontist. Uh, I'm fast forwarding the story a little bit. And then I realized that I was nowhere qualified to be top five in my class. <laughs> and so that dream was kind of crushed. And so there was a time, honestly, Dave, in the middle of dental school, I, I wondered, you know, what am I doing? Like I almost bailed mm. and I almost bailed from the set fact of like, that was actually the time when the internet was just taking off and it was the IPOs of all the, you know, I forget what, what do they call it? The, uh, that era, but it was 2000, 2000 where the internet was just exploding and all the, all the internet IPOs. And ironically, I was a computer science TA in, in undergraduate. Right. So I had a lot of science. I, I actually had a lot of, at the time, a lot of computer background and I was being wooed by some of these tech companies in dental school. And, and they were offering me, you know, Oh, $80,000, which at the time was all the money in the world to me, of course. you know? And so I, I almost bailed several times. And I remember my dad being like, do not do this. You will regret it. You will regret it. You will regret it for the rest of your life. And so I think it's because of if he, if I hadn't had such a strong father figure to say, don't do this, because I trusted him. He's been my mentor, my idol. I would have bailed. I would have bailed and I would have regretted it the rest of my life. Like he said. So I I know I'm kind of going on a couple tangents, but I think it gives context to kind of the journey of the struggles that we've all had, you know, and you know, it, it, I don't think it's ever been easy to anyone out there listening. And my, and my path was, was just as convoluted and, um, as, as a lot of people, but but it's a great, I'm super glad that I'm in the position I'm in every day. I wake up feeling blessed because I know I'm in the right position and my journey as convoluted as it was, you know, God had a path for me. That's a fascinating story. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think, um, so often we, we look at our mentors, we look at our advisors and we think that their path was a straight shot for me to be, but when you really get down and have a, an authentic conversation with, people that have achieved what you've achieved, it's it's never the case. And I think that gives young pre-dental students, dental students, people earlier in their careers hope because they may feel like, where am I? What am I doing? You know, and when they feel like bailing, it may just in fact be the the gem that they need to to persist. So thank you again for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. So let's um let's give a little bit of a timeline here. When you were in dental school, what years uh, approximately were you in, in undergrad and dental school? Let's go both. Yeah. So I, I went right straight shot. So I did uh, graduated college 98 and dental school 2002. Okay. Barely. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> and that's the same year I graduated, actually. So post dental school, you talked about going into an associateship. You were you were pretty determined to, to initially to go into more of a high end cosmetic type career. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that goes back, Dave, to give you a little context there. Because I, you know, what I alluded to about wanting to work with my hands and I felt I had very good dexterity. I think that was the only reason I actually got into dental school was because of that perceptual ability dexterity thing with the DAT. And I don't know if they still do that or not, but I knew when I finally found the world of cosmetic dentistry, I was like, that's what I want to do, you know? So, so who, who have been some of your um, cosmetic mentors? Where, where has your path been uh, led as far as becoming highly skilled at that? So honestly, one of the docs that works with us now has been one of my mentors. His name is Dr. Rich Creaseman, and he was a Hornbrook instructor. And he's been just because I've worked with him my entire career. And he's literally like hands down the best dentist I've ever seen. Best hands. He's almost like a robot, you know, like his hands just boop, 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 you know. 
it's unreal. And so I've learned a lot from him because his knowledge is just so deep on that. And actually, David Hornbrook would be another one. You know, I've done a lot of his continuums in early on. You know, even Dr. Deborah, Deborah King is the is the dentist I work for when I got out of school. And, you know, I learned a lot from her. Uh, gosh, Trent Smallwood, you know, he's been a big influence on me. He's out in Arizona. I don't know if you know him. Sure. He's a good buddy of mine. And then there's just a lot of a lot of mentors from the business side who have, who have come into play. Um, and I have a, a lot of mentors even now. You know, I, I by no means have this shit figured out. Mark Costas is a, is a big one for me. I, you know, Brady Frank, you know, we talked, I actually just uh, was on my podcast last night discussing with him. So I have like, man, I, I'm thinking about this. I have like 20 mentors, honestly, because there's just people have depth in, in so many areas that I don't. And I just want to pull all the pearls I can from their brain. I, I'm right with you. Let's talk a little bit about the, the business acumen. Do you feel like that's something that you had to learn from running a dental practice? Or did you feel like you kind of had the entrepreneurial DNA before that? I think I definitely had the, the entrepreneurial DNA. Like even in high school, I was a terrible employee um, when I when I had jobs. You know, I was terrible. I'm not gonna lie. So like, and and I, and my dad luckily recognized that and was like, "Son, you better you better get your own business." So even in high school, like I had a pressure washing business, I had a yard cutting service. You know, when I was ten, I used to buy and sell dirt bikes as as and literally did it like probably over fifty times. Wow. So I, that was always in me. I didn't know at the time though that how important that would be in running a dental practice as I grew until I actually owned one. I was like, holy cow, the dentistry is really the easy part of this. It's, and, and there's as much business and admin and HR as there is clinical work to be done in a dental practice. So I think, I think luckily it was a fit because I was actually prepared, if you will, to do that as well. Well, I think our profession is littered with bad information. Somebody who's really interested in having a highly successful dental practice or multiple practices, what are two or three tips that you would give them from the marketing and system standpoint that you feel like would set them apart from their peers? Someone looking to grow or scale their practice, you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. So treat your, there's a great book that if, if you want to kind of see how my mantra of kind of running a practice or a good story would be, it's called built to sell. And I don't know if you've ever, if you've heard of that. I'm not familiar with that. Basically it's, it's kind of about the philosophy of building. There was this gentleman who hated his advertising business and all he wanted to do was sell his company, sell his company and get out. Well, he met with some people to sell it and they just said, you know what? Your business isn't really a business. It's just you with a glorified job. But he's like, but I hate it. I want to get out of it. And so basically this mentor business uh, broker said, come with me and let's work and let's fix the problems and then sell it. Mm. Well, Basically, in that, he developed the systems and, and really became very niche in his advertising firm. And come to find out, by the time it was ready and he had all the systems in place and the profits were up, guess what? Now he didn't want to sell because he was enjoying the process, right? Even though his business was now super profitable, his EBITDA was way up, all these things. So it's a great book. And so I think that would be some good advice to someone is always think about your practice in a built to sell model, even though you don't want to sell. Right. Right. So that would be just one tip. I think that's just a mentality thing. I couldn't agree more. The other thing would be is to, is to don't try and outsource everything that predicates your success. So marketing and systems are two things that predicate your success. In my opinion, as a dentist, you know, so don't just hire an advertising firm and be very 
I don't know what they're doing. I pay them $3,000 a month, but I don't know what they're doing. Like you have to kind of learn just so you can have educated and qualified conversations. And so that you can, I I wouldn't say challenge, but at least you can audit your results on an educated level, right? If you're going to outsource that kind of thing, so many people just hand it off and think it's a set it and forget it. And then wonder why they're not doing well because no one has a vested interest. I don't care how much you're paying them. No one has a vested interest to propel your practice the way you're going to. So I'm not saying become an expert in marketing, but like be educated, like spend an hour a week just learning and watching videos on it. And then the last thing would be do is create kind of a, you know, in your systems, have everything written down, create little videos that train people, you know, as you're doing training, like, you know, we do training all the time for new employees. And I tell someone, I'm like, if you're going to do this training, someone needs to record you doing this because I'm all about scalability. And, and I, and the one-on-one training is probably makes me want to scream and, and <laughs> right. Cause I'm like, this is stupid. We could have recorded this years ago and all this person had to do was watch this video to learn. So I know, I mean, there's so many things I could just say advice, but those would be two kind of overarching themes that I think are important. And that's actually why I started my podcast. I just talked about the business and the systems. Phenomenal. I'm sorry, the marketing and the systems. So many of our colleagues are afraid to kind of stick their neck out and be a true marketer. You know, obviously our best patients come from word of mouth, but in today's busy, overwhelmed, social media, in-your-face world that people, you know, get so many marketing messages and are so distracted, what would you say to, to a young colleague that still is getting advice from somebody that says, hang up a shingle, treat people right, and the rest takes care of itself? I would say be prepared for very, very slow growth, right? Um, It will work and you'll probably be successful. You treat people right. You give them a good experience. You create value. Yeah, you're going to be successful because a lot of dentists are not probably doing that. But the growth and and what you're wanting to do is going to be predicated on how motivated people are to talk about you. Mm -hmm. And I, I personally don't like putting the power of my future in the hands of others. (laughs) Awesome. One uh, one other thing I wanted to get into a little bit because you started the show with it was the conversation of people saying that it couldn't be done when it comes to a fee-for-service model. And I was just listening to a podcast guest that you and I have in common, Steve Rasner, on your show. He's a big advocate of that independent model. Also kind of a, in the spirit of busting myths, what would you say to somebody that says, it's 2017, I'm at the mercy of MetLife and and Delta Dental. With your experience and background and courage there, do you have any advice that you could lend to our audience? I mean, I just I would just say don't listen to it because, you know, if if Steve Rasner can do it in his town and I can do it, you know, I mean, like you know, there's a if it's been done before, it can be done again kind of thing. So, uh, yes, I think insurance is a safer bet. Because, you know, you're, you're aggregating a lot of your patients through being on the list and all these things. But at the same time, you know, you, you kind of at what cost, you know, you have to see twice as many patients. And so I don't know if I have any good tips or, or tricks on that, Dave. But I mean, I just know that, like, 
people say like, oh, well, your practice is like kind of the unicorn and like a dying breed, you know, and like I'm like, but but really, like I'm not doing anything that special except creating a nice environment for people, knowing that everyone hates going to the dentist and then literally creating an environment where it, it minimizes that effect. And, you know, and, and we have a personal relationships and people will pay for value. You know, if that wasn't the if insurance and, and you know, being as cheap as, as possible for people was their number one qualifier of what they choose services for, we wouldn't have St. Regis. We wouldn't have Four Seasons. We wouldn't have Disney World. You know, like people will pay for value. And the same thing can transcend for dentistry. That's phenomenal. And I think that just really ties things together. You talked about beginning with the end of mind, about commitment to a vision. Sure, it may not be the easiest road and it may be a more torturous path. But if you play your cards right and you're committed to it, I think you're proof that it can it can all prove out exactly as you had envisioned it. Totally. Excellent. Well, you talked a little bit about your torturous journey about maybe bailing on dental school. One of my favorite questions that I ask colleagues, because I think it allows a lot for a lot of vulnerability and authenticity, is to share a moment of failure, a significant setback, something where you felt like, you know, your back was really against the wall and how you bounced back from that. Mm, Man. Okay. So it actually happened 2015. So I alluded to the fact that I had a partner and and a founding partner with me. And that's actually the year in which we broke up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so breaking up, you know, a partnership after 10 years is, you know, a lot of emotion in that. And, you know, it, it, it gets very heated. And so that was was tough. And then shortly after our quote unquote day of breakup, I found out that I had been I had we had been embezzled from five hundred fifty thousand dollars. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, you know, me, me sitting here touting like, oh, I got all the systems and all this stuff. <laughs> I was so distracted by the fighting and the, and the, the inner workings of fighting with my my partner or ex-partner that I took my eyes and hands off the wheel. And, and so I lost focus and she saw it as an opportunity. The person, the, the office manager at the time saw it as an opportunity to, oh, well, no one's paying attention here. Let me just start taking a little bit, a little bit. So that was that was very humbling and embarrassing and things like that. Not to mention. So so because of all that, you know, and then I had actually my son was premature that year. So literally, Dave, I can tell you that 2015 was another one of those times in my life that I wanted to quit mm. and wake up every day and say, you know, and I literally would have these conversations with myself on the edge of my bed saying, just one more day, mm-hmm. you know, and, and honestly, and I was slammed clinically. I was actually had the biggest clinical year of my life, which you would sound great. But if you're super stressed in all departments, like, you know, doing more isn't the solution. It was a blessing in hindsight because, you know, sometimes revenues can kind of get you out of a bad place in terms of, the, you know, because my bad place was was about business stuff. So basically, this is a good story in that I I literally told myself, you know, by October, I said, you can make this to the end of the year. And if you make it to the end of the year, when you have that break at Christmas, you can totally get control of your life again, because life is controlling you right now. But just make it to the end. Do not quit. Do not throw the practice. Do not throw it away. You know, don't do something stupid. Like literally, I was at the end of my rope and everybody could tell. And so literally, I got to the end of the year. And I said, you know what? Here it is now. I'm going to change my work schedule 
I'm going to get, you know, and I made some, some strategic things that were going to help me get control of my life again. I actually got a personal assistant that handled a lot of my admin stuff, which was hands down the best thing I've ever done for me, uh, for myself, because it I offloaded all the stuff I didn't want to do. I actually shortened my schedule. I went from working 16 days a month to nine days a month because I said, I just don't want to do more. And so I tell people that 2015 was my worst year ever. 2016 was my best year ever. So the dichotomy of those years and just staying in the game for one more day and one more, you know, just keep plugging away that sometimes the jewels are just on the other side. And that that I will never forget my story of 2015, 16, even when I'm an 80 year old man, because I will just remember that that, you know, just sometimes just one more step is all it takes to be a success again. Wow. You've given me chills multiple times in this conversation. You know my story and the listeners know my story. And so I can so much relate about how a crisis can really become the blessing and the totally. true, true motivator. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And there's so many silver line. You know, if you look at that at the time I was playing the woe is me card and the whatever, <laughs> but literally like, you know, I had to have some suck it up conversations and you know, but that, that was only good for a couple of days and I was right back where I was. But then in hindsight, you look at the lessons, like you said, you know, there's so many silver linings to, or, or, or lessons to be learned in adversity that, you know, it almost sounds like a cliche because you hear people talk about it, but it's so true. Like everything happens for a freaking reason. Yeah. Everything, right? Nothing is not intentional, you know, and that, that may be a faith thing for whoever's listening for you, but for me, you know, everything happens for a reason. And so taking the lesson is the important part of the experience. And if you don't take that with you, then shame on you because it's going to be expensive again for you, whether that's expensive, emotionally expensive, financially, whatever it is. It's so tricky because we run from those things and rightfully so because it's painful. But if we go to the gym, we try and create a burn or a sweat. But in life, we, we run from those things that really become our strength and conditioning moments. It's a, it's a phenomenal story that you shared with us. Yeah. And like the human body is like literally what do you know? What else? What other machine do you know that like the harder you work it, the stronger and better it gets? <laughs> yeah, good point. Right. There's yeah. nothing like you run your car ragged and it sucks. You know, yeah. you run your body ragged and guess what? It, give it time to rest and heal. And now you're a little bit better than you were before. Yeah. Mentally and physically. Mentally and physically. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. You and I have more in common than I realized before we started the conversation. So <laughs> we should continue this offline, no doubt. But before we do that, I want to enter the relentless round. I'm going to deliver five rapid fire questions and I'd like you to come back with some uh, direct and to the point answers. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. Peter, what are you scared of? Regret living life not fully. What have been the major barriers to your success? Uh, me. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Just keep fighting. What one book would you recommend that every dentist read? Oh, man. The E-Myth Revisited or Ultimate Sales Machine or Tools of Titans. <laughs> Sorry, that's three. <laughs> all, all favorites of mine. Last question. At The Real Instance, we want dentists to live an epic life. I think you've defined your epic life and are charging forward into that. But yet we have so many timid, reluctant colleagues who hear those voices that you mentioned that say you can't do fee-for-service, you can't do high-end cosmetics, you can't do multiple practice ownership, you can't have a nine-day work month, and they listen to that and they cower to that. If someone approached you, a podcast listener, uh, a fan of your show, and said, hey, listen, like 
I want to believe in what you're saying, but I just feel like it's a hard to take one step forward in that direction. What would you tell them to help them overcome their excuses and become a relentless dentist? I would say the only sure thing you have in this world is you, meaning that you are your best investment. You are your sure thing. So don't for a second doubt that you can't do it. You know, hard work and strategy can overcome a lot of setbacks or or things that you feel like you might not be able to do. But, uh, you know, so I would say invest in your in what you feel your shortcomings are as a person or a dentist or an owner as or a husband or a father, whatever it is, invest in becoming better and just go for it because you got one ticket in this world, one ground, like live it as epically as you can. Wow. Thank you for uh, punctuating this awesome conversation. I kind of feel like the last half hour is a conversation that you and I would have had over a couple of beers. And I'm so glad that we recorded it and get to share it with our colleagues. Totally. Totally. I had fun, man. If listeners want to reach out, they want to uh, check out Bulletproof Dental Practice or want a, a little bit more advice, insight from you, what's the best way for them to connect to you? So they can they can uh, email me just personally at uh, Peter Bolden, B-O-U-L-D-E-N at Gmail. Or you can there's a there's a connect with me on the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. I'm sorry, the, the, the website. So BulletproofDentalPractice.com contact form. Like I, I get those, those come right to me as well, you know, and even Nick could even text me. I'll give my cell phone. It's six, seven, eight, 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 seven, 1005. And you could text me. I'm a good, I'm a good texter. I'm not a very good voicemailer, but I'm a great texter. <laughs> good to hear you. Peter, thanks so much. It's been an awesome conversation. Just, uh, I, I heard on your podcast about really wanting to pay it forward because you were gaining so much insight from our colleagues. And I think you definitely did that in this episode today. I appreciate what you're doing to help charge, give courage to empower our colleagues right now in a time where I feel like the messages may be uh, con- you know, counterproductive to that. I think it's mm-hmm. really important that our colleagues know that even in those crises and those challenging times, that there's light at the end of the tunnel and you just feel more empowered, more bulletproof, more, more, mis- more, more relentless and a success <laughs> uh, in, in executing the vision that we kind of all had when we reached out and sat down for that dental school interview. Totally. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) This has been the relentless dentist with Dr. Dave and Dr. K helping dentists live an epic life. Join us next time for more game changing information and inspiration. Inspiration.